let me read to you a verse of scripture about God's pattern for redeeming all things. It's his way, it's his thought. Uh, people have not thought of, of this. His ways are not our ways. Our ways are not his ways. But this is his pattern. And, and it's, a, it's a scripture that I find is almost never referred to uh, in today's churches. But listen to this. The fortress will be abandoned, the noisy city deserted, citadel and watchtowers will become a wasteland forever, the delight of donkeys, a pasture for flocks, until the spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the desert becomes a fertile field, the fertile field seems like a forest, Justice will dwell in the desert, righteousness live in the fertile field, and the fruit of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. Now that's Isaiah 32, verse 14 to 17. And it, it, it's a literal prophecy about Jerusalem. It's about Israel at, at the end times. In other words, it is a literal prophecy of something that's going to happen, but in the process of describing this, God is describing a pattern. This is merely the last of a series of this pattern happening. And that's what we've seen. If, you, if you've taken in my glory through time uh, teaching, uh, we we went back and we traced this very pattern that we, we've just read about in Isaiah 32. God pours out his spirit. The fruit of that is righteousness. He writes his laws on our hearts. All right, so we we can rejoice in healings, we can rejoice in miracles, we can rejoice in tongues and prophecy and vision and dream and all of those things that we associate with Pentecost. But bottom line, deeper than that, deeper than that, it says on, even on the day of Pentecost, they were all cut to the heart. So what God has to do with us is to write his laws on our hearts. He reintroduces a plumb line. There's right and there's wrong. It's, it's God's laws that he infused into creation when he created us and the world. And the, the outpouring of the Spirit is to reintroduce his patterns of righteousness. Then there can be shalom. Shalom is not just peace. It's a whole way of well-being. It's the way of well-being. It's when we are following God's laws, everything begins to turn from curse to blessing. So that we're, we're reversing the curse. We're bringing the world, all relationships, family, government, school, everything, we're bringing it around from curse into blessing. That cannot happen unless God is dealing with our hearts 
And God cannot write his law on our hearts apart from the outpouring of the Spirit. So we see a three-part program of God, Holy Spirit, laws written on hearts, shalom. That's what God is after. That is his plan, and that is what began to happen. If you remember from our Glory Through Time teaching, the Middle Ages were a time of great corruption. It seemed as though Satan had gotten right into the church itself and corrupted its highest leaders. And then God moved into action. And we described how God began to do something in Scotland. So at first, Scotland was considered a kind of a unique example of how a whole nation would come to Christ all at once and be brought out of this depravity and darkness that had come over the church, losing doctrine, but more than that, losing the pattern of sound teaching, uh, becoming worldly. So now all of a sudden, God himself is moving into action by his power, pouring out his spirit, John Knox says it was as if men had rained from the clouds. There were so many people coming to Christ. And, and so here is our first great awakening and the whole concept of spiritual awakening coming into being. But it's because God has gone into action. This is not people gathering together in councils and synods and passing laws and changing doctrines and doing all these kinds of things that we've come to associate with the Great Reformation. No, this is God moving into action, writing his laws on hearts. And then things begin to change in Scotland. The, the nation changes. There are new insights as to how we should be getting along with each other. Things are improving in many different ways. Well, then there, are, there turn out to be successive waves of this. Okay, so you've got Puritans, and you've got Quakers, and then you move into the Great Awakening in, uh, in the uh, mid-18th century, and then the Second Great Awakening, and then another, and another, and another. And so here we see it's not just one. It's, it's a pattern of something that keeps going, and it not only gets deeper, but it gets broader. So here we are. We're moving across oceans. And we're, we're spreading this pattern out until finally in the 20th century, you've got two things. You've got the great missions movement, but then you've also got God literally touching down all around the world with this kind of outpouring of the Spirit going on here, there, and everywhere. Um, and we, we describe in the, in the Glory Through Time teaching how R.A. Torrey, for example, uh, was uh, moved to pray for a great uh, worldwide uh, spiritual awakening. So this had not been thought of before, but now all of a sudden uh, the, the leaders of the church are beginning to think about this. Well, another thing that they're thinking about, they're, they're looking and they're seeing how this pattern is spreading. And so with the awareness of prayer leading to great awakenings and with the great missions movement, the rediscovery 
of the, the great commission of the church. Uh, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. With all of that, the leaders of the church, like Charles Finney, for example, are beginning to look into the future. They're, they're dreaming big dreams, and they're looking at the scriptures differently than previous generations had done. And they're suddenly realizing, well, maybe there is a millennial reign of Jesus Christ, but it's going to be by means of this pattern, you see, it's going to be God pouring out his spirit Jesus is king, we're his subjects. If we are willing to be filled with the spirit, then we will be the means whereby his kingdom will come and eventually there's going to be a great reign of God on earth and it's going to be through the church. Okay, so all of a sudden we're beginning to rediscover the millennium, the great millennium. And, and the leaders of the church are starting to think of this as something that will happen through the church, not by Jesus coming back at the end of the age and establishing his reign on earth, but rather through this process that we just read about in Isaiah 32. God pouring out his spirit, bringing righteousness, establishing his laws on our hearts, and then finally all the nations coming into a, a harmonious relationship with God and with each other because of these laws written on hearts by the Holy Spirit. This great hope that really began to possess the church, certain parts of the church, is now known as post-millennialism because it, it dreams of a millennium that comes through the Holy Spirit rather than through the return of Jesus at the end of the age. Now this is an advancement over, in my, in, in my judgment, this is an advancement over what had been in the church before. It really began to, to dream once again that God would have a plan and a hope for his creation and would want to redeem his creation from the terrible pit of sin that it's in. Sin is lawlessness, so he has to write his laws on our hearts. We see this hope even today in George Otis's videos. Uh, his transformation videos have reawakened this, this, this hope that God could use the church if we pray, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will I forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. And surely this is exactly what the post-millennial uh, hope was, just extended out into the future and finally leading to a millennium of, of some kind, uh, a hope that God would transform the world. I love this hope. I love this transformational gospel. I love the kingdom of God. The only objection that I have to this, I don't believe that the scriptures really teach 
that Satan is going to be imprisoned by the church. I don't think it's going to happen that way. And without Satan being imprisoned, there cannot be a millennial reign like what we're reading about in Scripture. In other words, the one part of this vision that I can't go along with is the post-millennial part. You can read Matthew 25, 22, and it looks like maybe that uh, would uh, support a post-millennial where it's Jesus coming back to judge the earth. He's not coming back to, to reign on earth, but to judge the earth, which would happen at the end of this millennial reign. But um, if, if you look at countless other verses of Scripture, you see, no, Jesus is coming back with all his holy ones, meaning his angels and probably saints as well, saints in heaven, saints who are going to get new bodies, and angels coming back to defeat the angels of darkness that have taken residence here and then putting them in prison. That's the way it's described in the book of Revelation and also in Isaiah the prophet. We see these promises and, and how they come to pass is through the second coming of Christ. He comes back to be the king of all the earth. So how did Christians finally come to this? Wonderful conclusion. That's what we want to deal with in our next teaching. But let me say before we go into this, a lot of people seem to think that the end of the age is something to be feared, something horrible, something uh, uh, just awful, and uh, thinking, wow, we're, we're, we're moving to the end of the world, and it's going to be awful and terrible, and we, we get this mindset of... Uh, almost like the triumph of Satan. That is not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible talks about. The Bible talks about birthing the kingdom of God at the end of the age. This is what we've been hoping for. This is what we've been looking forward to. The only thing is it cannot come apart from Jesus returning to the earth and bringing it to pass. Now, there are going to be labor pains Yes, there are going to be uh, judgments on the earth, all kinds of things. We'll get into that later. But the whole gist of the scriptures is it's all about God redeeming his creation. This is what we're looking for. This is his kingdom and his righteousness. We ought to be looking for this, praying for this, and rushing towards this as fast as we can. So let me just leave that. I think the post-millennial vision is the right vision, except for that one point, that God is not going to complete the vision apart from the return of Jesus to reign on earth.